0: Well, hello there friend, and welcome to the My Adoption Coach podcast. My name is Amanda and I am an adoption coach. I am here to help you avoid unnecessary expense and overwhelm in your adoption journey so you can match faster. I do this by supporting you at each step of your adoption journey with valuable training designed to help you save time and money and by helping you create and share your high quality adoption profile so you can bring home your baby faster. I look forward to supporting you in your adoption journey. So let's dive right in to today's episode. Did you know that there is another type of agency-assisted adoption, which is called identified adoption, and that is something you can do in the state of New Jersey if you're self-matching. This is according to my conversation with Jean Cavalier. She is an adoption attorney in the state of New Jersey. In today's conversation, Jean not only gives us an overview of the adoption law in the state of New Jersey, as well as the step-by-step process if you live in New Jersey or not and want to adopt from there, but she also talks about the different types of adoption that are allowed and identified adoption as one of those. If you haven't already done so, please take just a moment to subscribe or follow the podcast. And if you're loving the content you're hearing, I sure would appreciate a rating and review as well. So before we dive into our conversation, with Jean, I just want to give the disclaimer as with all of these adoption law series that this conversation with Jean is not creating an attorney-client relationship simply for informational purposes only. If you have additional questions about adoption law in the state of New Jersey, I highly suggest that you scoot on down to those show notes and click on her website and reach out to Jean so that you can ask those directly to her. But without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Jean. Jeans, thank you so much for being willing to join us on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're welcome. We are super excited to learn more about adoption law in the state of New Jersey. Do you mind to just start us with an overview of the adoption law? Sure. New Jersey permits
1: both agency and non-agency or private adoptions. They also permit advertising, which I know is something you're your audience would like to know. Yeah. Um, as, as you know, not all states permit private adoptions. There are a handful, like Massachusetts and some others, that do not permit private adoptions, and therefore you have to use an agency, but that is not the case in New Jersey. Um, if the child is relinquished to an adoption agency, New Jersey requires that the adoption agency be non So all the agencies in New Jersey are nonprofit, but there are agencies in other states that do not are not nonprofit. So they are for-profit agencies. They may be terrific agencies, but New Jersey residents cannot utilize their services. There are also um, entities such as attorneys uh, and other entities. Um, That act, as we say, are facilitators. New Jersey does not permit the use of paid facilitators. It does permit an intermediary, which is anyone other than a nonprofit adoption agency, to assist in matching birth and adoptive parents. So I am an intermediary. You're an intermediary. My hairdresser is an intermediary. We're all intermediaries. We can, if we know about birth and adoptive parents, and we want to bring them together. We can do that. We simply can't charge a fee for it. Um, and I don't, I don't mind that because my favorite thing to do is to be able to assist in matching. Um, so it does limit options for New Jersey residents because, as I said, there are many terrific adoption professionals in other states that are not uh, nonprofit and that do charge for matching that New Jersey residents cannot utilize. And um, some agencies will also find that do some nationwide marketing for their clients um, will not work with New Jersey residents because they are restricted in the fees that they can charge. So you'll find that too, if you start searching around. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the laws governing adoptions, the laws are different if it's an agency adoption versus a private placement adoption. Mm-hmm. Now, an agency adoption means legally, that the child is relinquished to the legal custody or guardianship of the agency for an adoptive placement by the agency. A private placement adoption means that the child is relinquished by the birth parent directly to the adoptive couples, and then following the legal process governing uh, private placement adoptions. But there's no intermediary agency that is making a placement and, and providing guardianship for that child until the adoption is finalized. So, and that takes a minimum of six months in New Jersey for any adoption. Uh, Agency adoptions can be finalized somewhat sooner. They can be finalized as early as six months. Private adoptions take really about 10 to 12 months because it's just a longer process legally. But significantly, what your audience is interested in is termination of parental rights. And really, at what point is their adoption secure and the birth mother cannot reclaim her child? In an agency adoption, The laws state that the agency must provide a certain kind of counseling called adoption options counseling to a birth mother prior to taking her surrender of parental rights. And adoption option counseling means what are her options other than placement of the child for adoption? Uh, Can she place the child with relatives, temporary foster care with the hope of being reunited? Is there state assistance available to her to enable her to support her child and, and financially be able to support the child as well? So those are some of the options that they go over. And obviously, you know, you want your birth mother to receive that kind of counseling so that she's not thinking about it after she delivers for the first time. Gee, I could have placed the child with my aunt And I never thought about that. So you want that counseling to occur. And the law does state that it should be provided to her on three separate days prior to the execution of her surrender, actually more accurately offered to her. Um, In some cases, a birth mother might, um, you know, waive a session or two. Typically they, they receive two at least. Um, And they may say, well, I don't need any more counseling. I'm going to waive the third, but it must be offered. Once that counseling is offered, the uh, agency can take the birth mother's surrender, but they must wait a minimum of 72 hours after the child's birth to take the surrender of parental rights. It is not valid, and you're really counting the, the, the minutes. <laughs> so if you're taking it on the third day, 72 hours, you better make sure that it's 72 hours after the time that the child was born as recorded on the child's birth certificate, where the surrender will not be valid. The good news that's, that's a relatively short time frame I know some states have 24-hour surrenders others have 48 but 72 isn't too bad it isn't. and there's no there's no revocation period oh. so she signs it's valid and binding she cannot seek the return of the child unless in those rare cases and it is rare that a birth mother claims fraud duress or misrepresentation on the part of the agency taking the surrender um, those are rare they have happened they are, not normally successful. Um, there are things we as adoption attorneys like to see happen at surrender signings to minimize those risks. We like to see the uh, birth mother represented by her own counsel during the taking of the surrender so that there's no claim uh, that she didn't understand what she was signing. Uh, the attorney can ensure that she was offered the proper counseling, et cetera. Uh, the attorney sitting right there can help ensure that there's no duress on the part of the agency. And many attorneys like myself really advocate for videotaped surrenders. Mm-hmm. Um, with birth mother's permission, You know, it's, it's for her protection as well yeah. um, that the surrender is videotaped and then there's really no issue with respect to fraud or misrepresentation if you have a video surrender. Um, So that is the law governing agency surrenders in terms of um, the time period in which a birth mother can execute a valid surrender, some of the requirements, um, and the fact that there's no revocation period. Um, In a private placement adoption, the law is different. So in a private placement adoption, typically a birth mother will sign what we call an extrajudicial consent, which means outside of a courtroom in a court hearing. So she signs her consent to adopt really any time it is non-binding with respect to the surrender, meaning that she indicates that she's placing the baby. This is her intention. She understands that the court can terminate her rights. In the future, she'll receive notice of the adoption. But if she wants to reclaim the child, she can. And her rights are not terminated until two to three months after the adoption petition is filed. And it is filed in 45 days of the placement and then a court hearing is held two to three months thereafter. Um, and she receives notice of that hearing, an opportunity to object. If she doesn't object, the court will terminate her rights. Now, the problem with that is that is a very long time for adoptive parents to have a child in their home at risk that the birth mother can reclaim the child. Yeah. So there are a couple of mechanisms that we we'll utilize all the time to avoid that scenario. The first is called a judicial surrender. I just said an extrajudicial, this is a judicial surrender. The birth mother's attorney will make application to the court uh, to hear the birth mother's surrender. Uh, the birth mother will then appear in court with her attorney. The court needs to make certain findings as to the voluntariness of the surrender as to whether or not she understands it's a termination of her parental rights and the end of the relationship with the child, et cetera. Um, and that she will receive no further notification of the adoption proceedings if the surrender is accepted by the court. If the court, and the court will also question her, did you receive proper counseling? Are you satisfied with the counseling? All of that. So it's, it's a very, very tight surrender. Um, once, once that surrender is executed, the judge will enter an order terminating her parental rights, and she will not be able to change her mind. And that takes about a week or so. Um, after the birth. So it's a little bit longer in general than an agency surrender. And if the courts are backed up, it could take a little longer than that. Um, So the second mechanism is one that's utilized most frequently. And that is called an identified agency surrender. Hmm. That means that the birth and adoptive parents met or were matched outside of an agency. The agency did not provide the matching services. But then they bring an agency in to take the birth mother's surrender of parental rights, to provide all the same services that they would provide to both the birth mother and the adopting families if they had matched her. And the laws governing agency adoptions will follow. So it becomes an agency adoption. That means that now we can take the birth mother's surrender after 72 hours or as soon as 72 hours after the birth, just like in any other agency adoption. Um, So, it provides that extra level of security. And the fees in New Jersey for an identified agency adoption are much lower than the fees, the placement fees, than if the agency were doing the matching. So, it is an affordable option. Typically, it costs a little more than a judicial surrender. But a judicial surrender does mean that the birth mother's attorney is spending more time. So, you're Mm -hmm. paying any more fees so for the little extra cost that it might entail to hand to bring an agency in and handle it as an identified agency surrender it's really a very good option and it's also less stressful for the birth mother she's sitting down with the social worker she's not appearing before the judge which you know i've been to those it's it's emotional in any case but at least when you when you have an agency social worker sitting with you that's that you have a rapport with and some relationship with because she's provided counseling in in most cases not every case sometimes there are less minute placements <laughs> but yeah. um, that is that is a lot a lot uh, less stressful for the birth mother um so many many adoptions are handled that way in new jersey and many times it's the agency that conducted the home study that will be brought in it doesn't have to be but that's typically you know many times what, what is done yeah. um the other aspect that we didn't discuss—well, a bunch of things—you can jump in if you have any questions. But Don't keep want,
0: going; you're doing great. I
1: want to touch on birth fathers because there's a lot I could say about birth fathers. But the first thing uh, is that obviously, if a birth father is involved in the placement. Uh, He can surrender in the same ways that a birth mother surrenders. So he can execute an agency surrender and an agency placement. He can execute a judicial surrender and a private adoptive placement. Um, In addition to that, if he says, I'm not the dad, he can sign a denial of paternity. And the good thing about that is that it operates exactly the same way as an irrevocable surrender. So once he just signs an affidavit saying, I'm not the dad, and I know this constitutes a termination of my parental rights, he's done. You don't have to worry about him objecting to the adoption. And that is utilized in many cases. Um, An example would be uh, the birth mother is um, stating that the birth father is not her husband. So her husband will execute an affidavit denying paternity because in law, he is considered, he is presumed to be the father. Yeah. So unless we can rebut that presumption or unless he denies his paternity, he's involved. <laughs> in the, in the, yeah. so, um, so that's a typical way that it's used. And also a birth mother might um, name a few men that could potentially be the birth father. Um, and then one or, s- or several of them might want to deny their paternity. So that's another mechanism. There's there's another mechanism that we use um, if a birth father uh, is not affirmatively willing to execute a consent or surrender to the adoption, and that is called a notice of intention to place the baby for adoption. Okay. So even before the placement is made, even before the baby is born, you can send this notice to the birth father. And the notice basically says the birth mother intends to make an adoption plan and uh, the, the adoption uh, petition will be filed in this particular county. And if you have any objection to the adoption, you need to file it in this county within 20 days of receipt of the notice. If you live in New Jersey, 35 days if you don't, and if you don't object within that timeframe, you will not receive any further notification of the adoption proceedings, and then your rights will be terminated. So what that does is it weeds out the people that you know might uh, potentially eject because they really have to put their money where their mouth is if they're receiving a notice. (laughs) So, so that is a a very useful mechanism and is one that we use and we typically use a process server to serve that to ensure that uh, there's no issue with respect to the notice. Sometimes if somebody's cooperating, they don't want to sign a consent, they're willing to meet with a social worker and execute a a notarized acknowledgement that they received it and that's another technique. But in any case. That is something that we utilize, Um, and then when the adoption petition is filed, we present that evidence to the judge that he received the notice, the court did not receive an objection, and they will simply terminate his rights at the hearing. Um, So the other issue, with one of the other issues with birth fathers is that they're not always known, as you know, and uh, some states have putative father registries where an unknown birth father must register within a specified amount of time in order to preserve his right to contest to the adoption. We don't have that mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do, what our law does state, is that if a birth father's identity is unknown, he must take certain specified actions within certain timeframes in order to preserve his right to contest the adoption. And specifically in New Jersey, the time frame is 120 days after the child's birth or before the date of the preliminary adoption hearing, whichever comes sooner. Now the primary adoption hearing is going to probably take three to four months when you have an unknown birth father situation. So it's not going to be that different from the four months. It could be a little bit earlier, and it is in some cases. Um, but but the judge will want to see evidence that the birth father's um, name is not on the birth certificate hmm. because that is one of the that is one of the actions he must take. He must amend the birth certificate and get his name on it within that time frame. So the judge will want to see that that didn't happen. The other action he can take under the law is file a paternity action. Hmm. And the birth mother would receive notice of that if he filed the paternity action. So if he hasn't done either of these those two things, amend the certificate or file the paternity action within 120 days of the birth or before the date of the preliminary hearing, whichever sooner, the court will terminate the rights of the unknown father. And of course, it's you know whoever he happens to be he's an unknown father but he's terminated whoever the birth father is he is terminated yeah so even if you have a named birth father it's a good idea to terminate an unknown in case it's not that named birth father Yeah. yeah so, um so that's how we deal with unknown birth fathers and under new jersey laws is also important a birth mother has the legal right to refuse to name the birth father mm. so some birth mothers are simply unable to name the birth father yeah. Um, But some refuse and there are some really, really good reasons to refuse such as an abusive birth father. Um, But we always want to try and um, weed out what her reasons are. She doesn't have to tell us but for the security of the adoption plan that she's making, uh, we would want to know, why is it that you're refusing to name the birth father? Mm-hmm. Um, is it likely that, does he does he know about the pregnancy and adoption plan? If he doesn't know about it, is he likely to find out? Do you have mutual friends? Do you, you know? So you try to look out all of those things. Um, and of course you're reliant on her honesty with respect to those answers, um, but, you you know, we do try and get those answers from a birth mother. It's very, very important because one of the, you know, one of the ways that adoptions disrupt is having someone who's not involved, a birth parent is not involved, come forward. Yeah. So we really, really, they have very important rights in New Jersey. Uh, is is um, There are some states that are tougher on birth fathers, but in New Jersey, they get their day in court. So you really have to be very careful that if you do have a known birth father, or if any birth father has, especially those who have supported the birth mother, you really need to contact that birth father and provide him proper legal notice of the adoption so that you don't have the child in your home and have the adoption disrupt later on. So that's that's my overview in terms of birth fathers. Um, unless you have any other questions, the next thing I think is important is, is talking a little bit about expenses.
0: Awesome, yes, that would be great. That's
1: one of the okay. questions. Okay, great. Um, Yeah. Adopting parents always want to know, how much does this cost me? And what are the elements of cost? Right. So one of the big questions is, does New Jersey allow the payment of birth parent living expenses? And the answer is a resounding yes. And I say resounding because New Jersey is very liberal, which has its pluses and its minuses. (laughs) The law states that you can support a birth mother during the entire period of her pregnancy and for 30 days thereafter. That is a long time. And that doesn't mean that in most cases you're supporting a birth mother for ten months. It could conceivably happen, and there are you know longer periods of support in some cases than in others. But typically you're supporting a birth mother from the time that you are matched with that birth mother forward, you know through the thirty days after the birth of the child. And of course the 30 days depends upon whether or not she places she doesn't place you're obviously not paying the 30 days now the types of support that are um, legally allowable are reasonable and necessary pregnancy related living expenses which again is the very broad category it's rent it's utilities it's transportation it's clothing it's groceries it's cell phone it's you know all of those things are are permitted as long as they're reasonable and necessary New Jersey is very strict about receipts. I have to tell you that. So they want to make sure that these expenses are legitimate. That means that even if I provide a birth mother with a grocery card to shop right, I ask her to take a picture of the receipt on her cell phone and send it to me because we want to make sure that the money is going to its intended purpose. We can pay the provider of services wherever possible. Uh, So, you know, we may be paying her landlord. We may be paying the utility bill directly. You know, those are all ways of ensuring that the monies are going to their intended purpose. So so living living expenses, you know, can be paid in New Jersey. Um, And, you know, other, sometimes you get birth mothers who understand that New Jersey is liberal and they will choose a family from New Jersey because they can get more of their expenses paid. So that's why I say it's plus and minus. Um, The other very significant part that I have to mention is that these expenses are non-reimbursable as a matter of law, if the adoption disrupts. Adoptive parents have to sign a statement acknowledging that they understand that. Birth parents also sign a statement acknowledging that they understand that. So it is a risk, especially if you're supporting a birth mother from you know, her first trimester on. That gets, can be very, very risky.
0: Um, the is other is expense- you paying those expenses on behalf of the hopeful adoptive family? Are there laws that specify oh. it needs to come from your account?
1: Great, great question. No, the, the, um, the adoptive parents are never paying those directly. That is either paid out of an attorney escrow account or out of an agency escrow, escrow account, depending on the case. But that's a very, very good question. I always tell my clients, please don't pay a cent. And that's please right. discuss what's legal. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> we don't want you to get into trouble here. So. No. Um, so the other elements of cost, of course, are your attorney fees. But it's not just your attorney, it's her attorney, right? And if the birth father has an attorney, not true in every case, but if he does, and he's consenting, you know, obviously not if he's not consenting, but if he's consenting, you're paying <laughs> for him as well. Um, you are paying counseling fees. In uh, an agency adoption, the counseling fees are always part of the agency fee, so they're not separate. In a non-agency or private adoption, the counseling fees are a separate element of cost, Uh, And in New Jersey, particular to New Jersey law, uh, counseling and a private placement adoption must be offered to a birth parent through an adoption agency. Mm -hmm. So you cannot just grab a counselor who she could be very knowledgeable in adoption, but if she's not working under the umbrella of a licensed adoption agency, you can't use her. You must bring in an agency. That does raise the cost a little bit because many times you might Find a more reasonable cost privately, but you really need to use an agency to satisfy that legal requirement. So, if you find a birth mother, and if you fi- if you find a birth mother on your own, you know that that's she, she always always must be offered counseling, and if she uh, whether she receives it or waives it, uh, must be set forth in a notarized document and presented to the court. Hmm. So, counseling, attorney fees, living expenses. Uh, medical expenses. As you know, the adopting parents always pay for the birth mother's pregnancy related uh, uh, medical expenses. Anything related to the pregnancy and birth of the child that is not covered by Medicaid or other insurance is the responsibility of the adopting parents. Now, most of the birth mothers, you know, can get on Medicaid or they have private insurance. So, yeah. but there can be co pays, there can be, you know, other expenses, as you know, that are not covered and would be the responsibility of the adopting parents. So I think I covered all of the elements of cost. Did I miss anything?
0: Um, the only other thing I would say is anything related to your profile, right? So that would not yeah. be necessarily, you know, in the cost that you're paying to an attorney or, you know, if you're working with an agency potentially there, but that's the only uh, other element would be creating your profile and sharing your profile in uh, home study costs.
1: Right. Home study costs and post-placement supervision. Oh, yes. Yes. Which is, uh, which is the agency visiting your home, ensuring that um, your family is adjusting to the child and that the placement is proceeding well writing reports to the court um, about the placement, and each report will recommend the continuation of the placement, and at the end of the supervisory period, which I said in New Jersey is a minimum of six months, Mm -hmm. the court must um, recommend finalization of the adoption as in the best interest of the child, so they have to file a report that says that. Each court report is a separate fee also, by the way. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And there are one or two court reports required in New Jersey. It depends upon whether there is a preliminary and final hearing or just a final hearing. In a non-agency adoption, by the way, there are always two hearings. There's always a preliminary hearing, which is held two to three months after you file your adoption petition in court. And then there's a final hearing six months later. Mm. So it's a longer period just because that's the way the law is written because initially it favored agency adoptions, I believe. Um, But in any case, it takes a little longer to finalize. But what I always tell people is your adoption is secure much earlier than finalization because parental rights are terminated at that first hearing. Mm -hmm. So even in an agency adoption, if, if I don't have two birth parents surrendering to the agency, And I have I have a guy out there, birth father, who hasn't surrendered. I will file the adoption immediately and ask the court to set forth a date for a preliminary hearing so that we can address the rights of the birth father and his rights can be terminated. We don't have to wait till the child's six months, seven months old.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. I know it can be often panicking as the hopeful adoptive family to you know worry about how long is this adoption in jeopardy so having a clear understanding of when it is no longer in jeopardy and when you're just working into the continuation of the finalization right the the check-ins that are necessary uh, with the court right. to to get to finalization it's it's really important distinction there so thank you for sharing that yeah it is
1: i'll I'll just add that what i always tell my clients is once parental rights are terminated, the court's only concerned with your fitness as parents. And we know you're fit. Right. <laughs> so You're good. One other thing I should quickly mention about New Jersey is that, as in many states, the home study is good for 12 months. So after 12 months of a child isn't placed in your home, you need to um, have a home study update, which is much easier than i won't go into detail but it's it, but it's not as involved as the original home study just some updated collaterals medical and things like that um but the and, and then your your fingerprint clearances you need state and fbi and child abuse clearances they're also only good for a year now once you receive a placement of a child in your home your home study can expire oh Your home study can expire and you can still file your adoption in court, but your fingerprints can't. So (laughs) even (laughs) if studies study's over 12 months, if you're, that's okay, but you need to renew your fingerprints before Mm -hmm. you file court. They need to be a year or less.
0: Gotcha. It's important to note, I always tell people that when you're working to your home study to get it approved or through your home study, at that point, you should also be working on your profile because you really want to maximize the time that that home study is good, right? And so you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to be ready as soon as the home study is approved. I I often get questions on sharing your profile before the home study is approved. And depending upon your state law, right? That's always an implication there, but I always err on the side of caution and say, wait until you've got that approval and then start sharing your profile just to be triply safe (laughs) in in the process.
1: But I couldn't agree with you more. You need to get your marketing materials ready to go. I tell people the same thing. Otherwise, you're wasting time while the home study, right? You're wasting yeah. time. Your study is ticking away. It's going to expire in 12 months. And you still have, haven't done your marketing materials. So yeah, for sure. And-
0: yeah. I have a lot of clients that will match inside of that 12 months as long as, you know, and as long as they're ready to go. Right. And I've had a few that are like, Oh, I wish I'd found you three months earlier. And I was like, yeah, me too, friend. <laughs> me too. Yes, yeah. I've got to pay to renew because I'm, you know, matching now. I'm like, I know it stinks.
1: <laughs> or the people that for word of mouth, they just told their friends and relatives they were going to adopt and a placement comes along and they haven't done anything yeah. in terms
0: of, <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah yeah I had someone reach out to me in the group uh, a few weeks ago. she was like, I have a match. it just fell in my lap. I'm not ready but the baby is to be born next week. What do I do? And I'm like, okay, here's an attorney and here's somebody that I know from a home study perspective that's at stake go call them now like now now yeah. now.
1: <laughs> yes yes. I've had people throw together profiles overnight. I'm sure I, mean, I advise it I don't advise it but if they really had
0: <laughs> right <laughs> if you get that if you get an opportunity we presented you take every opportunity yeah, take it and it's a
1: shot it's a shot so <laughs> yeah
0: as long as it matches what you feel equipped to parent of course
1: right so. <laughs> exactly
0: definitely important well you really touched on a lot of our most common questions so thank you i do You're have right. a couple of just clarifications i want to make and then i'm to circle back just process one last time so from an advertising of your profile i know this is a, a lot of questions i get in the uh, my adoption coach facebook group around this and people want to know what constitutes advertising so i'll give a few examples that i get specifically from questions and let you expand from there i get questions around Around if I share it with my doctor, like a you know, brochure or a business card or my hairdresser, or if I create a Facebook profile and share in Facebook groups, Or if I use paid advertising, like Google ads or Facebook ads, are those different elements considered advertising under New Jersey law? And are there any restrictions that specifically apply to any of those elements?
1: No, New Jersey does not. I know some states have restrictions. We do not have restrictions. Adoption advertising is permissible in New Jersey. So all of those things I counsel my clients to do, which is great.
0: That is is great. And it's okay for them to do them on their own behalf, if you will. Yes. Um, But you have to be working with the appropriate type of professional to really um, make the communication or the connection with the birth parents. Help me articulate that a little bit better. I want to make sure that people understand uh, that it's okay to work with an adoption attorney in an adoption agency and still be going out and sharing your intent to adopt with the hope to self match as well.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, when you, if, if you uh, choose, for example, to advertise on a profile listing site, mm-hmm. um, many of those will require a letter from me indicating that you are home study approved and you are working with me on your adoption. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, so, so, and 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 you know, you would be well advised, obviously, if you're going to start those efforts to self-match, um, you really need to be working with a professional because yeah. you need that professional then to take over and vet those situations just as an agency would. So I do the same kind of vetting an agency would. I speak with the birth mother, I, I obtain her intake information. I sent her forms to complete social and medical history forms. I send her, um, a, ask her to complete a release for her medical records. So we do all of those things that the agency does. They're done by the attorney instead of the agency. That's all. So oh,
0: that's really you know,
1: helpful. Well, because, and it gives you the option, of course, to advertise in all those states where advertising is legal when you have an adoption attorney, because then you have someone to step right in vet that situation and steer you to competent professionals and with the relevant expertise in other states. Yeah. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, because I'm a member of the Academy of Adoption Attorneys and Sister Reproduction Attorneys, um, You know, I know the professionals in the other states. I can pull one in for you wherever the birth mother and work with that professional and get all my questions answered. You know, they're an expert in their state's laws. I'm an expert in my state laws. And and then we can develop an adoption plan together. Um, Significantly, you know, the other thing I didn't mention was New Jersey uh, law does permit non-residents to file their adoption here. So I do represent couples from out of state. So if New Jersey law is more advantageous, um, many times they'll file their adoption here. You can file where the agency that has custody of the child is located, or if the child's under three months old, you can file in the county where the child's born. Mm -hmm. So I can only represent birth parents who reside here because I'm only uh, licensed to practice in New Jersey. But as long as the adoption is filed in New Jersey, which is permissible for non-residents, I can represent out-of-state adopting parents.
0: Yeah, you touched on something that's really, really important. There are a couple of things, actually. First and foremost, you always have to work with an adoption attorney. I think my audience probably hears me say that every single week through this series, but there are nuances to adoption law that are different than family law. And that is why it is so critical that you work with an adoption attorney because you don't want to put anything in jeopardy because you thought you could save yourself, you know, a a few bucks here or there um, because you have a neighbor that is an attorney that does, you know, whatever type of law, right? So you want to make sure that you're working with the right type of professional. Secondarily, if you are working or considering adopting outside of your state, so if you live in Arkansas and adopt in New Jersey or vice versa, you will need to have attorneys that understand the law in both states to your point so that you can understand what's the most advantageous route for the hopeful adoptive family as well as the expected family on which state should be the governing body, if you will, to finalize the adoption Um, I know in our own situations, we had, you know, those conversations as well when we were going through our adoption process too. We had an adoption attorney in Arkansas. We had an adoption attorney in Florida where my daughter was born and they consulted and then told us what we needed to do from there. And it was really important that we follow those steps appropriately.
1: Mm -hmm. And just so your audience understands, you can have a termination of parental rights in in one state and finalize the adoption in the other. I just want to make that that clear also.
0: Yeah, you can. You're exactly right. Yep. And a birth mother can waive her rights
1: under her own state's laws and choose to surrender the child under the laws of another state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another point I wanted to make. Also, with respect to interstate adoptions, you need an attorney that does this because they have to have a relationship with the Interstate Compact Office and, <laughs> und- and understand how that works. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so so your adoption attorney, if there are any questions along the way, uh, they know who to contact in that interstate office. So that's, and they know how it works, and they know how much time it will take, and you know, so they can help expedite things for you to a point. I always tell people too, you know, it's out of my control. <laughs> In large measure, once it's in interstate's hands, how long it takes them to process it. New Jersey is really good. They're very quick, but you just never know. Um, there could be, you know, we had we had the the coronavirus, we have snowstorms, you know, all sorts of things. We had we had sandy at one point, hurricane sandy. So we had uh, various things that various things that can delay. You know the interstate process. And just for those of you who don't know, if it's an interstate adoption, you must remain in the state where the baby is born until the interstate compact offices of both the state where the baby is born and your state of residence approve the placement and allow the child to leave that state. So you're in a hotel somewhere during that period. So that's why it's critical that you have an attorney that can expedite. Um, that uh, to their best of their ability, that interstate process, and understand how it works and exactly what documents have to be filed. right.
0: So, and that um, interstate process cannot happen until after the surrender is finalized.. Right. Is one right. of the, doc- the surrender is made. That's one of the documents that has to be filed with the interstate
1: contact office. Mm-hmm.
0: okay. Perfect. Um, I think just to that point, it would be nice as we begin to, to wrap up our discussion here today, just to give a refresher of just one logical line of from start to finish. If I live in the state of New Jersey or if I don't live in the state of New Jersey, what are the steps that I'm taking in the adoption process based upon you know your experience in New Jersey?
1: Okay, so... The first thing I I like to tell people to do is I really think your best bet is to hire an adoption attorney at the start of your journey. You're going to need the counsel of an adoption attorney in your state at some point anyway, certainly to finalize the adoption. But you might as well get the benefit of his or her counsel at the outset. Um, your attorney can help steer you through the maze of adoption decisions, uh, ensure that you're complying with the applicable laws and refer you to competent professionals. And like you, I really like to stay within my zone of genius. Now, I know you said that so many times, but I um I know a lot about marketing at this point, but it's not my zone of genius. You know, it's your zone of genius. So I like to refer my clients to marketing professionals. It's also more economical. You don't want to pay attorney's rates for that. So it really... So, I do steer my clients, you know, I I encourage them to do their own marketing and not just to sit and wait with an agency because the more places you're at, the more you spread the word, the better off you're going to be. Um, So, um, I also have a a finance coach that I work with that I pay for on behalf of my clients because I know, as you stated so many times, and I always tell clients too, you need to figure that out at the outset. We need to know how much you can afford to pay and you need to have liquid funds ready. That's right. And, you know, I certainly have spent a lot of time Googling, trying to figure out, but then I thought, I'm not doing this. I'm going to hire somebody who just does this and knows all about financing and give my clients the benefit of her services. So I find those things out. So if you hire an attorney like me or someone else, then you get the benefit of that um, at the outset. Once you hire your attorney, you're going to have to figure out what route you're going to take, right? So are you going to just sit with an agency? And if you do choose an agency, is it going to be a small local agency or is it going to be a large agency that has national reach and markets throughout the country really that's going to cost you more the national agency so basically they're doing a lot of marketing for you the small local agency is going to be a less expensive option but you're not they don't do as many placements and you're not going to have the same reach so i tell clients if you're not going to use a large expensive nationally based agency there's nothing wrong some of them are absolutely terrific yeah. But you're going to wait with a smaller agency. Really, you got to do some of your own self-matching too. You really have to put in the effort. Otherwise, you could be waiting a long time. Um, so, so that's your next determination, right? Which which route am I going to take? Um, and then you really have to get those marketing materials ready, right? That's that's get those ready. And at the same time, you can be working on your home study. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people. Um, and then uh, once your home study is complete, you are really ready to, you know. Go full steam ahead on your on your marketing. And also, if you've selected an agency, the agency is now in a position to be able to present you to prospective um, prospective birth families. The other thing I tell clients while they're preparing their materials and when they first contact me is you really have to get educated yeah. about. I recommend some books that they can read. I tell them to go on creating a I've been telling them to go to your website. <laughs> you know, I tell them to um, to educate themselves on issues such as prenatal drug exposure and alcohol exposure and and exposure to hepatitis C or whatever. It is. You know, you're going to come up with those scenarios. So you really have to understand. You know what effect that could have on the baby. And uh, whether or not you're comfortable with those situations. Um, At the time that your home study is approved, you need to tell the agency what kind of situations you're willing to accept. So are you willing to accept a child of certain um, races or ethnic backgrounds? Are you willing to accept any sex child? Are you willing to accept a child of a certain age? Are you willing to accept a child who was exposed prenatally to drugs or alcohol, um, whose birth mother may have had some mental health conditions? You know, there's all sorts of things. Are you willing to take twins? That doesn't mean you can't amend it later on, but you really, you really need to know going in. Um, you have to have some idea of what what kind of you know a child would would fit your family, and educate yourself if you are adopting outside of your own race, for example. Educate yourself about that, and many of the agencies, um, the home study agencies, do have educational seminars on those topics. And you can easily find them on on your own and I can point people to them also. So once you do that, as I said, you're ready to go full steam ahead. Um, If you are uh, marketing on your own, as we mentioned, and you you do connect with a birth parent, then you contact your attorney and your attorney will help vet that situation and help, um, help you develop an adoption plan and help you find other competent professionals that you're going to need, including other attorneys and agencies um, to provide counseling and other services to birth parents. Um, and you're going to have to decide significantly, as i said, whether or not that adoption is going to be an identified agency adoption, as I mentioned before, or are you going to utilize the laws governing a private adoption? And if the birth mother's in another state, you know, maybe you're utilized and you can finalize there and that's advantageous. Maybe you'll want to do that. I always tell my clients, I'll step out of it if I need to, (laughs) you know, so you want to do what's most advantageous for for your, situation. Um, I think that's what you're asking me to do, right? Is there anything else?
0: Yeah, so I would just say from there, baby is born, and then you're Uh then taking the appropriate laws, you know, depending upon the situation for consent or termination of rights or revocation period uh, in the state of New Jersey's consent, and then you're working towards finalization. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That I think that is super helpful for the audience just to have kind of that one continuous picture of all of the elements together to understand step by step what to do, which is really what I'm always focused on is helping people understand step by step where they need to go and seek additional resources, like you said, because there's a lot to learn at this process. Mm-hmm. But our conversation has been incredibly helpful before we wrap up. I'd love to know if you have any kind of parting thoughts that you would like to share with the audience as it relates to adoption law in New Jersey or just adoption in general.
1: OK, so I think my parting shot is that, you know, this has been quite the journey for me as an adoption attorney. Um, you know, I feel like I'm on this ride with my clients. <laughs> so adoption is Is a journey. It's an emotional journey for most people. It has its ups and downs. But my parting advice is just if it's what you want, don't give up. I have never had a client in my 24 years of doing this come back to me and say they regretted it. They are thrilled to be parents. And when you go through the process, you see that birth parents too find solace in knowing that their child is growing up in a loving, stable home. With a family selected by them and given the opportunity to have the life that they envision for their child, I always get. I mean, I think about when I see adopted moms and birth moms hugging each other and crying and thanking each other, and I get tear. I'm still. I get teary I'm just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So that's what's so incredible about adoption. I mean, it is. It is a process that if you go about it the right way you can really grow and learn from it. Yeah. And, and it can bring out the absolute best in people at its best. And, and so given that, one, my other advice is when you choose your professionals, vet them not just for their competence and expertise, but for their sensitivity and emotional intelligence as well. It will not only help you on the journey when you're going through it, but it can make a difference um, in terms of your match with a birth parent. It really can. If you have an attorney that's not sensitive to a birth parent and is communicating with that birth parent, that can be a problem for you. Yeah. So, sure. so it's it's unlike, you know, I litigated before I did this, believe it or not, <laughs> commercial litigation. That's what I did. <laughs> this is very, very different. I feel more like a social worker sometimes, but, but um. But you know, as you know, as a parent and I'm a parent, um, it is the hardest job in the world, but the most rewarding. So don't give up.
0: Yeah. Well, that's phenomenal, and you've just been so great to talk to today, Jean. We really appreciate you and and all the wisdom you shared with the with the audience. And I really love your approach to the overall adoption process and saying, "Listen, I'm here to guide you throughout the way and connect you to the right, you know, partners that you need to complete your journey." Uh, but I, I really love your point around emotional intelligence because that really does make a difference for the journey that hopeful adoptive families and birth families are on together. So that's amazing. How can our audience get in touch with you? Should they be interested in learning more about adoption law in New Jersey or working with you?
1: Okay. I have a website, Uh, uh They can also call me. My phone number is 973-366-2499. Or they can email me. My email is a little long. So <laughs> Jean at Jean at uh, uh, Jean at Jean okay. at Jean J E A N at J N M Cavalier. Cavalier is C A V A L I E R E law. Perfect. So I know it'll be in your show notes, right? Cause
0: they're not. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Always, always link it both in the YouTube as well as in our podcast. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for your time today. We appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too, Amanda. And thanks again. Wasn't that a great conversation with Jean? First of all, I just want to be Jean's best friend. Like, I mean, how amazing is she? She's such a wealth of knowledge and she made an excellent point about having emotional intelligence to support you where you are in the process. If I were adopting in the state of New Jersey, I'd definitely be reaching out to Jean and I highly suggest you do as well. And before you go, if you have questions about the adoption process, make sure you check out the Private Adoption Program. The Private Adoption Program is specifically designed to help save you money and time in the adoption process. I walk you through step-by-step how to conduct each adoption process, no matter if you're adopting from private adoption or if you're adopting with an agency or if you're adopting with an attorney, an embryo, or even surrogacy, so that you understand the steps from start to finish that'll make the journey the most efficient for you from a time and money perspective. Head on over to myadoptioncoach.com backslash program to learn more. Remember friend, anything's possible with the right plan and support and I'm here with you every step of the way. I'll see you soon.